Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview an analyst to discuss a single stock. And today we have on the show Value Stock Geek, as he's known on Twitter or X. And he also has his own blog, securityanalysis.org, as well as his own podcast. He is, I love the way he invests. It's, uh, he makes things feel very digestible, very simple. He, we talk about it later on. He, he keeps the valuation very simple. Uh, and like us, he looks at basically a new stock each week and sees whether or not it kind of passes his hurdles and passes his tests. So it, uh, it, it was fun to talk to someone with kind of such a similar approach and philosophy. Uh, go ahead, check out his blog. It's, really lots of awesome content on there the podcast is also great he all the podcast episodes are free after two weeks so there's there's tons of content on there today we're talking about tractor supply co though which is considered kind of the life out here retailer i think is the term that the ceo has used in the past and it's maybe one that people are familiar with maybe not but it is one of the best performing stocks probably over the last two decades in American markets. So lots of, lots of, uh, I guess it's a, kind of a secret formula in terms of the compounding and VSG goes into all the details there, but I'll leave it there without further ado. Here's our interview with value stock geek. Welcome to chit chat money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Today, we are welcomed by Value Stock Geek is how you may know him if you're on Twitter. And you may also know his blog, Security Analysis org. Uh, he also has a podcast. So if you've ever come across any of that, we have Value Stock Geek on the podcast today, and we are talking about Tractor Supply Co., which is, I'm guessing, a, a name a lot of people are probably familiar with just because maybe driving past the stores, depending on where you live. But let's, I guess, kick things off with the high-level overview. What is Tractor Supply Co.? And how did you actually come across this as an investment? Sure. So I came across Tractor Supply looking at a list of top performing stocks from the last 20 years. Um, so I figured that was a good hunting ground to look for some good businesses. So what I do on my uh, Substack is I go through a company every single week and try to determine if it's a wonderful company. So I first looked into it around 2021 um, and that was on my list of companies to review. And I started digging into it and I thought it was a pretty compelling opportunity at the time. Um, so Tractor Supply is a niche retailer. They focus on like a rural lifestyle. They focus on kind of small hobbyist farmer, farmers um, and just general like residents of small towns and, and rural areas. It's a very old company. They've actually been around since 1938, but they hit this major growth phase in the last 20 years where they've really focused on growing their store count throughout the country. So a bulk of their revenue, almost half of their revenue is um, from livestock and pet supplies. So getting feed for small animals is like a 
big focus for them. Um, their typical kind of customer is someone who has moved out to a rural area. They own maybe you know ten acres of land. They've got some. They've got maybe a chicken coop. They've got a small garden, and they're trying to buy supplies for this. In addition to that, they'll have like just more general people buying food for dogs and pets and things like that. They also sell clothing. So like they're a major retailer of Carhartt products, which is very popular right now. Um, And that's kind of the focus. And they've carved out like a nice little niche for themselves where they're out in these rural areas where they're kind of away from a big like Home Depot or a PetSmart. And they can kind of monopolize people in that rural area and they can appeal to that rural lifestyle. Um, Recently, they've started growing their store count and they're kind of edging into more like suburban areas. Um, But overall, that's kind of the strategy is this rural lifestyle. They're away from some of the bigger players and they focus on these um, on these kind of niche customers who are focused on this um, small time farming. Yeah. And for anyone that does not, has not heard of it before, the stock has done phenomenally well. I'm looking at their total return. It's up over 50,000% since I believe it's like (laughs) 1994 or something like that. So there's a reason people are like, Hey, what's, what's the deal with, with tractor supply? This seems like a boring business. So we'll kind of get into why the returns have been so great, but we need to get more context around their business positioning first, or I think that's what I listeners would like to know. So who are they competing with? Or is it mainly, hey, there actually isn't much competition here and they kind of have mini monopolies in these areas? So they do basically have mini monopolies. Like a part of their strategy is they don't want to compete with these massive retail outlets. They stay out of the way of like, like if you're going to paint your house or do like they're not going to sell paint for painting your house they're going to sell paint for painting your barn or like they 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 are competing in areas where um the bigger players aren't necessarily going to be and um that's that's a key aspect of what they're doing now with their current moving into more of the suburban areas they are facing a little bit of competition there but overall um I'd say if you were to say who who are they competing with, there are they are competing with like Home Depot and PetSmart and places like that. But they're such, but that's kind of like esoteric. Really, they're not competing with anybody. Like in the areas where they're operating, that's the real way to think about them. Okay, and then how how big are they? Like how many stores locations do they have today? And then maybe we can talk about. Uh store economics after that yeah sure so there are around 2300 stores that was the latest store count and that's grown pretty significantly over the last few years like in 2015 they were only around 1500 so they've really focused on boosting that store count um at the same time they've also seen tremendous growth in the same store sales so i don't think I think a part of what the market perceives about tractor supply is that this is a story that's solely about increasing store counts. But I think even if they stopped growing the store counts and just focused on same store sales, they could still grow. Like they would still grow because they're in a um, they're in kind of a growth phase. Um, 
And I think that there are secular trends that benefit um, their business model. So for instance, um, I think they really benefit from the move from expensive urban areas to more rural areas. So for instance, say that you're a software engineer, you have a good job, you're making decent money, and you can work remotely. Well, why would you live in New Jersey and buy a $1.5 million house or in LA and buy like a $3 million house when you can just move out to a rural area and get basically an estate for, you know, a, a giant estate with, um, for like 500 grand. So I think long-term that's a trend that's going to keep accelerating. And that's a trend that's been going on in the United States really for decades is a move from kind of like basically almost blue states to red states. You see, you see that migration of the population happening. Um, so they benefit from that kind of secular trend. Um, I'd say the other secular trend that they benefit from is a focus on animals and pets where people are spending more and more money on animals and pets and it's becoming a bigger part of people's lives. And um, I think they, they benefit from that. So even if they just stuck to their current store count and focused on and just did that, I think they'd still grow over time because they're benefiting from these secular trends. Yeah, I think Hal Lawton, the CEO, has said it's like a big trend, especially among the millennial population. I was about to ask about that. It seems like maybe that's accelerated in recent years with the push more towards remote work. Do you think it's I guess on the flip side, is there any potential that that could be a headwind if companies start calling people back into the office or we move any more towards sort of a hybrid environment? Yeah, definitely. So they were a huge beneficiary of the pandemic. So um, they grew like since 2019, they've grown by 70%. Revenues are up by about 70%. So they, and, and then I think in one of those years, they, they grew by 40% because of this massive move to work from home and they really benefited from the pandemic. And that's kind of part of what I think you're seeing in the stock right now is the growth has slowed a little bit and that freaks Wall Street out. But at the same time, hey, you're up 70% in like four years. What did you expect to happen? <laughs> like That's not going to go on forever. So you're already starting to see that. You're already seeing that decline a little bit. But I think long-term, so right now you have more people returning to the office, you have a normalization from COVID, but long-term, I think these are secular trends. Like this is something people are going to continue to move to rural areas. People are going to continue to um, focus on developing a rural lifestyle. And um, it's not just a one-time like pandemic pop, like it's Peloton or something. Like you're dealing with something that's a lot more robust over the long term. What? So you mentioned 2,300 stores. Do you know what kind of the unit unit economics look like for Tractor Supply? How much does it cost to set a new store or a new location up? And then what kind of returns do they expect on those stores? They average about 20 to 30% returns on invested capital per store. So the returns are pretty massive and it's because they're focused on, you know, their, their unit economics are very good. They can charge higher prices than because they don't really have much competition. There's huge markups there. Um, 
And then they have a pretty loyal customer base that, that are routinely, like you're talking about routine, regular purchases all the time. So if you own chickens, you know, you have to buy, it's not like you're just going to buy a bunch of chickens and buy a bunch of equipment. Like there's constant maintenance and, and food and stuff that you have to buy over time to support that. Um, so that's, that's a big part of, of what's going on there. Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers, but we like to call them by their ticker symbol, IBKR. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies, charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees, the ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances, and the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income, all on one single unified platform. Restrictions may apply. For more information, visit ibkr.com, member SIPC. Open an account with IBKR today. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, and I think this is an an example for the listeners about how advantageous a long reinvestment runway is. And today, what you already talked about it, people worry about store count saturation. They worry about where they're going to put these new stores in. So I want to hit the real estate strategy. How fast do you think they can grow stores from here? What's their plan? And do you agree with the strategy? Like, do you do you find anything you know wrong with their their current plan for this decade? So most of their locations are leased, so that's worth noting. And they've been able to keep costs low because those it's cheap to lease in a rural area. It's not that expensive, so that's been a big part of their strategy. Um, I do think they have a lot of room to grow. Like, they have a lot of geographic concentration in Texas, for instance. Like. I think 10% of their stores are in Texas, but there's probably room to move into like the Midwest and some other areas. Like um, I forget what the exact count was, but something like 750 stores are in um, the Southeast United States total. And then they've got that concentration in Texas. So they there are other rural areas throughout the country that they could probably continue to grow into. For example, am, the Pacific Northwest, I, I don't think I've seen any up here. And there's tons of rural, rural areas. Oh, Washington, there's a, there's Oregon, Idaho. There's a couple. Okay. I've, but there, I've there's still there's still a lot of cities in, you know, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana that could definitely use these. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you when you hear about people migrating to more rural areas or low cost states, you hear a lot about a lot of people going to like Austin, Texas, and that type of thing. But it's a huge country. There's a lot of a lot of places, a lot of cheap places that you can move to that, and you can have a pretty high quality of life in, like you mentioned. So I think there's room for them to continue to grow, but at the same time, I think that the business is so good where. They don't even need to really do that, even though that's what's Wall, what Wall Street is focused on right now. 
And what kind of same store sales have, do they put up? Like, okay, let's say they stopped growing their stores. They said, hey, we're kind of kind of pull a Home Depot type strategy and really not grow our store count. Do you think they could put up the same sort of comp sales as the Home Depots and the Lowe's of the world uh, where they could grow, really drive, you know, phenomenal returns um, yeah. by having a flat store base? Yeah, they've averaged, they average about 10%. And then during the pandemic, they were doing like 20%. So they can absolutely continue to do that. And then with the margins that they're delivering and the returns on invested capital that they're delivering and the free cash flow that they're generating, if they did have to convert to a Home Depot model, I think that would work out fine. They, and they do, they do quite a bit of dividends and uh, buybacks already. So they could totally go to a shareholder yield kind of model. But um, I think they they have both. They, they have it all. Like they can do, you've got your shareholder yield already. You have the growth in same store sales already. And then meanwhile, you have, you still have a growth runway where they can continue to grow their store count. So it really just wins in all of those categories. Is there any like, I don't know, like a good comp in terms of what you think their store base could look like in the US at maturity. I'm thinking of like the dollar generals of the world because they operate in small towns, but that might be 20,000 locations might be a little extreme. Is there anything out there that you think like, oh, uh, tractor supply could look like that in 15 years? Yeah, it's hard to say because there's not really a business that's anything like them that's out there. Um, so it's it's really hard to say, but I think, yeah, I think it could totally get up to 5,000, 10,000 stores probably if they started to really make a more aggressive move into the rest of the country. Right. And then there, as you mentioned, just for context for listeners, 2,300 today. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, their current stated goal is 3,000. Yeah, that's the current stated goal. Um, but I think they could probably grow beyond that. Especially as you continue to have like a a population migration to these more rural areas, which I think is a result of increased work from home and um, just a general desire to move away from super expensive real estate areas. Okay. And I think one concern investors may have for the new real estate locations, you mentioned a little bit more suburban. Um, Do... Do do they talk about the worries about you know more competition in these areas where there are little there might be more stores for people to go to? How do you know? Do you have any insight in how those are have performed? And are they trying to go into kind of a more suburban area for these new stores, or is it that is that just kind of few and far between? They're starting to move into suburban areas, and I think that makes folks a little bit nervous, but. Um, you do have people in suburban areas with gardens. You do have people in suburban areas who are doing things like raising chickens and stuff. And um, when you're talking specifically about something like raising chickens, that's like, who is competing with you, really? <laughs> like there's there's nobody out there. And there's people that are into that in more suburban areas. And I think it can be successful in, in some of the more suburban locations. And um the key thing is to avoid the kind of um, is to avoid the attention of the big players like the Home Depots and stuff. But at the same time, I don't see them getting into this niche. And another thing to add about Tractor Supply is their employees are just out of this world. Like they'll often seek out employees 
who are already enthusiasts in this kind of hobby. So the stores are staffed with people who are genuinely like into this and extremely knowledgeable about it. And they really incentivize them to stick around. Like they do a lot of profit sharing and like these are hourly workers and their profit sharing can be as much as like a dollar an hour. So they, they are extremely incentivized to do very well. And if you walk into one of these stores, you'll notice all of the employees are super um, helpful and knowledgeable and they'll kind of make some roots into the community. So I don't think that's something that a competitor duplicate. So they've got a business that's tough to duplicate. And then on top of that, they have an employee base that's extremely committed and it's going to develop close ties with people. Yeah. And I was I was trying to think while you were talking about the the move to maybe a bit more suburban areas, I was like, hey, would this concept work in the, you know, kind of the suburbs of Seattle where where we live? And I was like, yeah, probably would. There there's definitely people that for what you know they have those hobbyist gardens or the or whatever like there, there's definitely that niche out there but i guess uh that's just a comment and i have a question around that ryan do you want to do you have the next one here on the the pet the pet area yeah i also have a follow-up kind of on the store base so i saw that they are in the process of uh retrofitting a lot of their stores with the this new garden type thing and yeah. it's it's led to like a big jump in maintenance capex or just capex in general what do you think about this can you maybe describe what's going on there and then how it might help the business yeah so um th- i think that's another concern that wall street has over the stock is that you've seen this boost in in capex and um the garden area, I think, is an important is a very important aspect of their business. Like for Home Depot, that's that's a huge driver of of growth and revenue. So I think that that's an important area, and I think it's important to keep the stores nice. Like if you walk in, like I would definitely recommend just walking into a tractor supply, and I think you'd be impressed with just how nice the store is and how nice it looks. And they're really focused on that. And um, yeah, I think I think that that pays off, and I think it's a it's a worthwhile use of capital. Okay, and then another area, I guess there's been, I think they have a three three pronged approach to the capital allocation. I was reading where it's investing in the existing stores and new stores, mm-hmm. returning capital, and then M and A here and there. Which I believe in 2016 they bought. Pet sense. Can you maybe describe what that acquisition was? And just generally at a high level, what do you think of them acquiring other retailers? So I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think Pet Sense makes a ton of sense. Pet Sense is a um is basically like they're focused on selling toys. It's more for like uh think of it as like pet smart kind of thing, where they're selling toys and food and things like that for more domestic pets. Um, and you can buy that stuff online. And I think that ties into the larger secular trend of increased pet ownership. People are spending more money on their pets. So I think that that acquisition makes a ton of sense with them. And then I think it has good synergies with their existing business where they're focused on feed and animal supplies and things like that. So I think I think that was a smart acquisition. Um, on top of that, I think that you mentioned how they're focused on all of these areas at once. I really like that. Like a lot of times you'll see businesses focused on one or the other, like they're focused on growing store count or they're focused on 
um, improving the existing stores. I like the fact that they're doing everything. They're doing all of the above. Like they're focused on significant shareholder yield, so you're not getting diluted. Um, they're focused on returning income to shareholders. On top of that, you've got investments in the existing stores, making sure that they're still very nice. You don't want to get into a situation where um, you know, you get that one-time boost and free cash flow for a few years because you're letting the stores go to crap. <laughs> you know, so they're they're not allowing that to happen. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm super satisfied with their with that strategy, with their capital allocation strategy. Yeah, and I think we're seeing with another rural retailer, I think you might follow them as well. Dollar General may have had mm-hmm. that that issue where they're going through that. Uh, investors can look at the Dollar General stock chart. It's been quite painful. But for tractor supply, you mentioned the minimal competition in the geographic locations, but I'll maybe just open up this as a broad question. What competitive advantages in general do you think tractor supply has and why, you know, how has that led to such strong returns over the long run? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Um, I think it's, I think the employees are a huge part of it is having these engaged employees who are extremely knowledgeable and they're not just like punching the clock. Like they're totally committed to this kind of lifestyle. I think the other, um, the other aspect is focusing on a niche that no one else is focusing on. Um, I think that gives them a, a pretty significant competitive advantage. Um, yeah, and I'd say those are those are the two main those are the two main things that I think give them a bit of an edge. Has management talked at all about like uh, economies of scale when it comes to suppliers? So like maybe getting better rates as they've uh, built this banner out across the country, or is it kind of? I, I'm just curious about the supplier base. Is it like these local ones, or is it nationwide? Do you know anything on that? It's nationwide. So they have um, 11 main distribution hubs. And as they do grow, they get more favorable pricing power there. So um, Morningstar actually recently upgraded them, I think, last year from like narrow moat to wide moat for that very reason, because they were getting better economics there. Hey, there you go. That's uh, obviously that that that's uh, that's such a great list, the, the Morningstar list. Now, here's a fun one. I, went, I love what reading some of your stuff is how um, not maybe formulaic is the wrong word, but you have a very standard way to look at valuation. You're like, I'm not going to try to get cute here. I'm going to mm-hmm. try to look at the valuation. So maybe I'm trying to tease it. Uh, what 
how do you value tractor supply? What are your thoughts on, I guess, the valuation of current prices? How do you look at it? Yeah. So I am super simple with like, I'm super simple. Like I have roots in basically being a quantitative value investor. That's where I, that those, that's where I come from. Like we want cheap multiples. We want the mathematical case to make sense. I'm not going to torture a DCF spreadsheet until it gives me the answer I want. Like <laughs> I want it to be optically pretty cheap. So right now, um, in terms of enterprise multiples, this is around 16 X, which I think is excellent for a business that's grow that can grow at 10%. That generates 25% returns on invested capital pretty consistently, has some growth runway. Um, I also think about valuation in terms of like basically the Jack Bogle method. Like you're looking, you want to be able to project what's the growth going to be in the business, um, what's going to be the change in the multiple. And then on top of that, you're going to get some shareholder yield. So with this business, basically, I think you're going to get growth in excess of 10%. On top of that, right now, the total shareholder yield between the share count going down and the dividend yield you're getting is like 4.4%. It's at a reasonable multiple. I think 16X makes a lot of sense. Um, so you don't have to worry about much multiple fade. In fact, I think the multiple could probably expand as Wall Street starts to appreciate more and more how wonderful a business this is. Like there are businesses not nearly as great as Tractor Supply that attract much more premium multiples than 16 times. Um, so I think there you get to the math of basically you could probably get a compounded rate of return, it's 15% at least over the next 10 years. Um, and I think that's super attractive. What do you think of? Lawton and anyone else that's a that you think is an important piece of the management team. Do you feel, I guess, just general thoughts there? And then, are they aligned with investors? Is there any sort of insider ownership here? Um. So yeah, Hal is a fantastic CEO. He's really led the company through this pandemic surge and has kind of spearheaded a lot of the strategy that you're seeing right now, where they're improving the stores they're not like very short-term focused here not sure about insider ownership i don't think there's a this is that kind of story been around for a while so it's it's hard not not a founder operator yeah yeah i yeah it goes back to 1938 so we're talking about a very very old company originally but yeah al is a great ceo he led um like the e-commerce side over at Home Depot for a while and really grew that business. And I think they're looking to expand tractor supplies, e-commerce business as well. Uh, but overall, yeah, I think he's a great CEO. And I think you've you've seen that result. He's been able to guide this company through a pretty challenging macroeconomic period. Yeah. And maybe as a quick follow-up there because as i'm looking at you 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 kind of talk about hey long reinvestment runway still there decent value or decent you know earnings multiple we got a strong moat we got a management team that's reasonable sounds like a great formula for a you know i don't know a value investment a long-term you know outperformer it should continue but i wonder just to follow up on the management uh how long has he been around and has he talked about hey like how much longer he wants to be there because i always know that for retailers management can be 
quite important as we've seen for some you know, retailers, uh, Starbucks, for example, they've, you know, the CEOs coming in and they, they get worried about how they're running things. How, how uh, I guess, do you think he'll be around for a long time? I think he'll be around for a long time. So he's pretty young. He's only in his forties right now. Wow. Um, on top of that, you don't have the kind of key man issue that you had with Howard Schultz, where it seems like he's the only person that can lead Starbucks right now. So he could be replaced, but I think he's pretty young and he'll stick around for a long time. And then he has the credentials at other places. Like he's been at um, eBay, Macy's. He's led, he grew the e-commerce division at Home Depot. When you listen to him, he seems extremely engaged in the business, um, a major cheerleader for it. So I could see him sticking around for like 10, 15 years kind of thing. So, and I think, and I think he's the man for the job. I think he's, he's a fantastic CEO. Okay. I think this will be our last question then, unless Brett's got any others, but I'm hearing you speak. It sounds like a very durable business, one that's really carved out their own market, I guess. How does this not work out? Like we try to do a pre-mortem as our last question. What could go wrong for tractor supply? And then maybe on a competitive standpoint, is there anyone that could come in and like really disrupt them? Sure. So what could go wrong? Um, I'd say a risk is that this rural lifestyle thing is a fad. Like it's a millennial fad where it's eventually going to fall apart when they get older or they um, they feel like they don't want to raise chickens and, you know, have have these gardens. I'm not really sure if that's the case. Like I said, I think there's kind of secular trends that are going to support more people going rural. And I think more people are going to be interested in that type of lifestyle. And I think there's also the secular trend of increased animal ownership and spending more money on them. So I'm not too concerned about that. But that's a risk that this is just kind of like some fad that's going to fall apart. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but that's definitely a risk. Um, I'd say the other risk would be that um, obviously a recession, there's short-term worries. So you've got the short-term concern about um, they had this big COVID surge that's fading. Their margins are probably going to decline a little bit. Growth is probably going to slow down a little bit compared to what people have been used to. And at the same time, they would absolutely be impacted by a recession. There's some recession resistance built into it where animals need food, whether the economy is good or not. So, but they would definitely face some issues. They do sell some heavy equipment. I'm sure that would slow down in the face of a recession. So, so that's another um, major concern there. Um, and I would say that another issue that could affect the long-term thesis would be that this that they maybe get a little bit too hungry with pushing into the suburban areas um, where they might not have the kind of um, strong moat that they've had out in the middle of nowhere where they don't face any real competition at all. Uh, but I'm not as concerned about that because I think they appeal to some businesses and some crowds where they wouldn't necessarily get disrupted. Um, major areas of disruption, potential areas of disruption would be if, say, one of those bigger players like Home Depot or Lowe's decided to move into some of their key areas. Um, and then obviously, if Amazon started to get involved in a bigger way and like 
animal feed and that type of thing. But at the same time, that stuff's hard to ship. It's easy to go to the store and just pick up, you know, major quantities of that. And then at the same time, I can't see any of those people getting involved in like live animals, like chickens. I can't really see. (laughs) I don't think Amazon's going to be selling chickens anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So I think there's potential. There's definitely risks out there, but um, I think overall they're, they're in a pretty strong position. Yeah. And it, it kind of, again, I think of Dollar General just because of the rural focus, but for them, you know, it, it didn't seem like competition was much of the concern. It was more of a, hey, we might have mismanaged a little bit. We might have lost the ball in execution. When you mentioned something there on the wrist, I forgot to add this to the questions, but I want, I think listeners would like to know what's their balance sheet strategy. Do they kind of go for a levered up strategy in repurchasing stuff or, or are they more of a conservative balance sheet? They have a pretty conservative balance sheet, so they don't really use a lot of debt. Like their debt to equity right now is around 30% based on their long-term financial debt last time I looked. So I think they're I think they're in a pretty good position there. Um, yeah. They have about 1.1 billion in long-term debt against total assets of 8.5 billion. So they're pretty conservative as far as that goes. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions we have today. How can people follow more of your work? What are the best places to keep up with you? Sure. So um, the best best place to go would be www.securityanalysis.org. Um, what I'm doing there is every week I look into a new company that has the potential to be like a wonderful company. I spend a week on of working on it, trying to figure out like, is this a good business or not? That's basically the question I'm trying to answer. Um, and then I'm tracking all of these companies that I deem to be wonderful on a watch list. So usually when I look at them, they're not at a decent valuation. They're very expensive. So I basically wait for the, them to get to more attractive valuations and then I buy them and then I track them on this blog with total transparency. So I will tell you if I buy any, if I sell any ones that I used to previously own. On top of that, on the website, um, I also have a podcast. So. If you sign up for the website, you'll get all the um, new episodes of my podcast. You'll get an email alert. I record a podcast episode every week. It's usually with um, a guest. Sometimes I'll do solo episodes where I answer questions from subscribers. Um, and if you're a paid member of the site, um, you get um, early access to it where it's behind a paywall for two weeks and then it goes wide um, and it's 12 bucks a month. So it's the price of a pizza. Yeah, we'll we'll have the link to the Substack in the show notes. I know you'd probably, you know, it's nice to follow people on Twitter, but that's that's really where you get the information is the the Substack. It's a it's a fantastic one. But yeah, thank you for uh for joining us. Uh, I call you maybe VSG Value Value Stock Geek. I know people joke around what 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 to actually call you, but yeah, thank you for uh coming on and talking tractor supply. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. All right. Before we sign off, I should throw a disclosure on this. Just mention that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Uh, Anything we or our guests say on this podcast is not formal advice or recommendation. With that said, thank you all for tuning in and thank you, VSG, for coming on the show. 